Part two, chapter twenty-eight of *The Patrician* by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part two, chapter twenty-eight. The clock over the stables was chiming seven when Milton and Barbara passed out of the tall iron gates in their swift-moving small world that smelled faintly of of petrol. Though the cab was closed, light spurts of rain drifted in through the open windows refreshing the girl's hot face, relieving a little her dread of this drive. For now that fate had been really cruel, now that it no longer lay in Milton's hands to save himself from suffering, her heart bled for him, and she remembered to forget herself. The immobility with which he had received her intrusion was ominous, and, though silent in her corner, she was desperately working all her woman's wits to discover a way of breaking into the house of his secret mood. He appeared not even to have noticed that they had turned their backs on London and passed into Richmond Park. Here, the trees, made dark by rain, seemed to watch gloomily the progress of this whirring-wheeled red box, unreconciled even yet to such harsh intruders on their wind-scented tranquillity. And the deer, pursuing happiness on the sweet grasses, raised to disquieted noses, as who should say, poisoners of the fern defilers of the trails of air. Barbara vaguely felt the serenity out there in the clouds and the trees and wind. If it would but creep into this dim, travelling prison and help her, if it would but come like sleep and steal away dark sorrow and in one moment make grief joy. But it stayed outside on its wistful wings, and that grand chasm which yawns between soul and soul remained unbridged. What could she say? How make him speak of what he was going to do? What alternatives indeed were now before him? Would he suddenly resign his seat and wait till he could find Audrey Knoll again? But even if he did find her, they would only be where they were. She had gone, in order not to be a drag on him. It would only be the same thing all over again. Would he then, as Granny had urged him, put on his armour and go down into the fight? that indeed would mean the end, for if she had had the strength to go away now, she would surely never come back and break in on his life a second time. A grim thought swooped down on Barbara. What if he resigned everything, went out to the dark? Men did sometimes, she knew, caught like this in the full flush of passion. Surely not Milton, with his faith. If the lark's song means nothing, if that sky's a morass of our invention, if we are pettily creeping on, furthering nothing, persuade me of it, Babs, and I'll bless you. But had he still that anchorage to prevent him slipping out to sea? This sudden thought of death to one for whom life was joy, who had never even seen the great stillness, was very terrifying. She fixed her eyes on the back of the chauffeur in his drab coat with the red collar, finding some comfort in its solidity. They were in a taxicab in Richmond Park. Death, incongruous, incredible death. It was stupid to be frightened. She forced herself to look at Milton. He seemed to be asleep. His eyes were closed, his arms folded. Only a quivering of his eyelids betrayed him. Possible to tell what was going on in that grim, waking sleep, which made her feel that she was not there at all, so utterly did he seem withdrawn into himself. He opened his eyes and said suddenly, 
Do you think I'm going to lay hands on myself, Babs? Horribly startled by this reading of her thoughts, Barbara could only edge away and stammer, No! Oh, oh no! Where are we going in this thing? Nettlefold. Would you like him stopped? It would do as well as anywhere. Terrified lest he should relapse into that grim silence, she timidly possessed herself with his hand. Fast growing dark. The cab, having left the villas of Surbiton behind, was flying along at great speed among pine trees and stretches of heather gloomy with faded daylight. Milton said presently, in a queer, slow voice, If I want, I've only to open that door and jump. You who believe that tomorrow we die, give me the faith to feel that I can free myself by that jump, and out I go. Then seeming to pity her terrified squeeze of his hand, he added, All right, Babs, we shall sleep comfortably enough in our beds tonight. But so desolate to the girl was his voice, that she hoped now for silence. Let us be skinned quietly, muttered Milton, if nothing else. Sorry to have disturbed you. Pressing close up to him, Barbara murmured, If only talk to me. Milton, though he stroked her hand, was silent. The cab, moving at unaccustomed speed along these deserted roads, moaned dismally, and Barbara was possessed now by a desire which she dared not put in practice to put his head down and rock it against her. Her heart felt empty and timid. To have something warm resting on it would have made all the difference. Everything real, substantial, comforting seemed to have slipped away. Among these flying dark ghosts of pine trees, as it were the unfrequented borderland between two worlds, the feeling of a cheek against her breast alone could help muffle the deep disquiet in her, lost like a child in a wood. The cab slackened of speed, the driver was lighting his lamps, and his red face appeared at the window. We'll have to stop here, miss, so I'm out of petrol. Will you get some dinner or go through? Through, answered Barbara. While they were passing the little time, buying them petrol, asking the way, she felt less miserable, and even looked about her with a sort of eagerness. Then, when they'd started again, she thought, If I could get him to sleep, the sea will comfort him. But his eyes were staring, wide open. She feigned to sleep herself letting her head slip a little to one side, causing the small sounds of breathing to escape. The whirring of the wheels, the moaning of the cab joints, the dark trees slipping by, the scent of the wet fern drifting in, all these must surely help. And presently she felt that he was indeed slipping into darkness, and then she felt nothing. When she awoke from the sleep into which she had seen Milton fall, the cab was slowly mounting a steep hill, above which the moon had risen. The air smelled strong and sweet, as though it had passed over leagues of grass. The downs, she thought, I must have been asleep. In sudden terror she looked round for Milton, but he was still there, exactly as before, leaning back rigid in his corner of the cab, with staring eyes and no other signs of life. And still only half awake, like a great, warm, sleepy child startled out of too deep slumber, she clutched and clung to him. The thought that he'd been sitting like that, with his spirit far away, all the time that she'd been betraying her watch in sleep, was dreadful. 
for her embrace there was no response. And awake indeed now, ashamed, sore, Barbara released him and turned her face to the air. Out there, two thin, dense black long clouds, shaped like the wings of a hawk, had joined themselves together, so that nothing of the moon showed but a living brightness imprisoned, like the eyes and life of a bird, between those swift sweeps of darkness. This great uncanny spirit, brooding malevolent over the high leagues of moon-worn grass, seemed waiting to swoop and pluck up in its talons and devour all that intruded on the wild loneliness of these far-up plains of freedom. Barbara almost expected to hear coming from it the lost whistle of the buzzard-hawks, and her dream came back to her. Where were her wings, the wings that in sleep had borne her to the stars, the wings that would never lift her, waking from the ground? Where to were Milton's wings? Crouched back into her corner, a tear stole up and trickled out between her closed lids. Another and another followed. Faster and faster they came. Then she felt Milton's arm round her and heard him say, Don't cry, Babs. Instinct, telling her what to do, she laid her head against his chest and sobbed bitterly. Struggling with those sobs, she grew less and less unhappy, knowing that he could never again feel quite so desolate as before he tried to give her comfort. It was all a bad dream, and they would soon wake from it, and they would be happy, as happy as they had been before, before these last months. And she whispered, Only a little while, Eusty. End of part two, chapter 28.